was many years ago in, in a poor Middle Eastern country that a man went to see the local wise sage, the, the shaman or whatever he is. And the poor man said to the wise man, life is unbearable. There are nine of us who live in our one-room house. We can't take it anymore. What can I do? And the wise man said, do you have a goat? And I said, well, yes, we do. We have, we have one goat. And the sage said, bring the goat to live in your house with you. The man was like, you know, maybe you didn't hear me. Uh, and he argued with him a bit. And the shaman said, no, no, do as I say. Bring your goat into the house with you. Come back in one week. A week later, the man comes back looking more distraught than before. He says, we can't stand it. That goat is filthy. We don't know what to do. The sage said, let the goat out and come back in one more week. It was a radiant man who walked in a week later and said, life is wonderful. We enjoy every minute now that that goat is gone. There's only the nine of us in there. That is what contentment is like. Contentment with our current situation can be very fickle. We can be fairly content with our situation until someone makes a derogatory comment about what we have or what we drive or what we wear. On the other side, we can be pretty discontent with our situation until something truly awful has, and then we only want to get back to where we used to be. Contentment is hard. To be content is really hard in a world, a wicked world, filled with so many troubles. I mean, how, how can we be content under a government like we have? How can we be content with the financial problems, the health problems, the social problems, the marriage problems, the financial problems that we all have? We have problems remembering all our problems. Even our problems have problems. How can you be content when you have that number of problems? What if there was, what if there was just a secret to contentment? What if there was some secret that if, if we put it to use in our life, we, it unlocked a kind of contentment that was sort of bulletproof that gave us that feeling of what the Hebrews called shalom. Just well-being, wholeness, everything is okay that the world couldn't get at. Well, there is. And the Apostle Paul is going to let us in on the secret to contentment this morning. We're going to read it in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. The New American Standard, those verses read this way. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly 
that now, at last, you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's our passage. We start with a little bit of background that lets us know where this comes from. Uh, The Apostle Paul, we're, we're in the closing section of this letter now. And, you know, the occasion for the writing of this letter. In other words, what made Paul sit down and write this letter at this time is basically this. There's a guy named Epaphroditus who's from Philippi, and he's been in Rome with Paul. And he's going back to Philippi. The reason Epaphroditus came to Rome is because the Philippians, because they care for Paul, they collected an offering, a collection, and they took a significant sum of money and gave it to Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus came and gave that money for Paul's care. Because if you found yourself in a Roman prison back then, you had to raise your own support, your room and board. And now Epaphroditus is going home. And so Paul thinks, I should write a letter to my friends, the Philippians, since since Epaphroditus is going back there. That's why he sat down and wrote this when he sat down and wrote it. And one thing he has yet to do in the letter, and he's in the last section, he hasn't said thank you. And that's what he's going to do. It's going to take us this week and next week. This is the thank you section of the letter. Now, thanking someone for financial support can feel very tricky. Take it from someone who makes his living off of financial donations. It can be uh, uncomfortable. When the next time we have a missionary come and speak, ask them. They will tell you it's uncomfortable. Because you, have, you don't want to seem ungrateful. You have to say thank you. You, you don't want to make it seem like it wasn't a good investment, or that you're unappreciative, and you don't want to make it seem like it wasn't needed, like the money didn't go to a good place. But you can't lay that on too thick, because you don't want to make it seem like more is expected, right? If you go to, oh, I didn't know how I was possibly going to make it until you came through, the other person might think, he's kind of asking for more. That can be weird. Um, You don't want to make it seem like the only reason we have a relationship is because it's financially beneficial. I remember talking with Luke Kaiser about this. Luke Kaiser and his wife, Alicia, they used to be with Athletes in Action, um, and we supported them. Luke was here last week. You might have have seen him. He was the gentleman that was nine feet tall. He walked in last week. The deacons picked out five smooth stones and a sling, and I had to stop them from 
going too far there. But Luke used to tell me, because he raised, he was always raising support for athletes in action, for himself, for crew. And he, he told me one time, like, I've got all these friends, but they're all supporters. And so, like, every time I'm around, there's this weird thing, like, they think, am I asking for more money? Is that, if we have more for dinner, guess what they think? They think we're going to ask them for more money. And you know what? Sometimes they're right. It's weird. So Paul's got to say thank you. He has to. But he wants to make sure they don't misunderstand. Okay? That's where Paul's at as he begins to end this letter. So Paul begins this thank you section of the letter this way. He says, I, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. When I got the money you guys sent, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Now that first part of verse 10 can sound to us like Paul's saying something that Paul's not saying because of a difference in, like, in the translation and just a cultural difference over the last 2,000 years. Is it just me? But it can seem like what Paul is saying when he says, at last... Doesn't it seem like Paul's saying, finally, it's about time you guys came through for your boy in prison here. Um, but that's not what Paul's saying. In fact, I want to tell you about a little Greek word here. That's, it gets translated at last. Um, your Bible might say again, or revived, or renewed, or flourished. It's a word from the world of flower gardening. It's a botanical word, I think is the word for that. Uh, it's the word for when a, a uh, what's the kind of flower that flowers every year? Is that a, that's a perennial? Whatever one. Okay. The, the perennial ones, right? Um, whatever. It blooms every year. Sometimes you have to wait, but it's going to come and it's going to come at just the right time. And it's when the tulips come up, when your crab apple tree puts the blossoms on. It's really pretty and it's really wonderful, but you have to wait. It'll happen at the right time. That's what Paul says about their gift. I rejoiced greatly that at just the right time, your concern for me blossomed just, just like, it sh like it should. And then right away he says, now I know you were concerned even before but you lacked the opportunity. Here's what he means. It's not every day somebody's going to go from Philippi to Rome that you can just give a pile of money to and trust it will make it there. You always had the concern. You didn't have the opportunity. Um, that's way better than the opposite, right? It's better than um, not having the concern and always having the opportunity. And then immediately Paul wants to hear them say, wants them to hear him say this. It's not that I speak from want, from being in need. You see, Paul is going to take off and talk about contentment. He's going to say in a second, he was perfectly content before he received their gift. Paul doesn't want them to hear him wrong. I was really happy when I saw the gift. But it's not because I was so needy before and I got a gift and now I'm not nearly as needy. 
And I have more joy now because my financial situation has improved. That's not Paul. Paul doesn't have more joy when he's doing well financially and less joy when he's doing worse financially. So Paul says, I rejoiced because I see what God's doing in you guys flourishing. Paul's main concern is the glory of Jesus Christ, and he wants to see other people glorifying Jesus Christ. And when he sees his friends partnering in the gospel with him, that makes him rejoice. So he says, thank you. I've got to say thank you for the gift. I really did rejoice, even though I was perfectly content with my financial situation before I got your gift. And that's very possible. Here's, the, here's like the condition Paul is in. He's completely content where he's at financially. And at the same time, he can absolutely rejoice in an increase in his finances. And then when he gets there, he'll be completely content where he's at there. That's a very healthy place to be. That's where he's at. So you can rejoice in a gift and be content without the gift at the same time. That's where Paul's at. And now he's going to dive in and talk about contentment. Because Paul... Paul has this kind of contentment that nothing else can get at. Remember where Paul is at as he writes today's passage. He is on death row. He doesn't know but what they might just execute him. And he's completely content. Paul's going to teach us some really powerful things about a very powerful thing. Contentment. And the way I'm going to organize this today, we're going, to, we're going to get four lessons, four things to learn about contentment. And separately, we're going to learn the secret to putting those things to work in our life. The first lesson about contentment really isn't from today's passage. It's just something we have to know or we'll miss what Paul wants us to get from today's passage. So lesson number one about contentment is this. Contentment is what we are all searching for. Contentment is, whether you know it or not, whether any of us realize it or not, what everyone is really wanting is contentment. Shalom, that feeling of well-being, I have enough, all is as it needs to be. That's what we really want. Now, most people don't know that's what they really want. And we have some really crazy ways to try to get at what we really want. But it's what we really want. It's very common to try to use, to try to use money to make us feel content. Why? How do, we, how do we do that? Well, we feel like if I get to a certain amount of money in the bank... I won't have any anxiety over my finances anymore. I will feel, what's the word? Content. Or we might use money another way. If I have enough money, I can buy the right things. I can have the right experiences, have the right amount of fun, have the right friends, fit in the right uh, social group, have the nice enough, a nice enough house, drive a nice enough thing, wear the right kind of clothes, that enough people will adore me that I will feel 
We might use success to try to get content. You can insert your own kind of success here. It doesn't matter if this is academic success and then levels of uh, degrees or something. It might be athletic success, business success, because we just think if I can, maybe this year I can make the varsity, I will feel content with like who I am and people will accept me. That will make me feel content. Of course, then once we make the varsity, Realize, well, like lots of people my age make the varsity. I've got to start on the varsity. And then when I get there, maybe that doesn't do it. Well, then maybe if I get the right scholarship. And then if I, well, but then if I don't, if I get there, then I really have to play because then the people at that college, they don't think I'm. And so we do this with business success. Maybe if I farm enough acres, have enough head, um, maybe if I have enough people under me in the job, maybe if I control enough market share, sell enough, whatever it is, I will feel good about me. I will be, what's the word? Content. If you are single, when we are single, we think if I could just meet that certain special someone, then I would be content when someone else adores me. That maybe will make me feel content. Contentment is what we all want. If I meet that certain someone, we get married. If I only had kids, we could do this all day. But understand, what we are all searching for is contentment. We just have a million different ways to try to go about it. The second lesson. That's what we're looking for. That's the first lesson. The second lesson is this. Lesson number two, straight from the words of this passage, is this. Contentment is not tied to our circumstances. Look at what Paul says, the second part of verse 11. Paul says, I've learned to be content in what? In any circumstances. So with Paul's argument, he wants to say thank you. i got to say thank you for your gift, but don't get the wrong idea. I'm not saying that because I was so needy and now I'm less needy. I was content before. I've learned to be content in any circumstances. Paul says, I've learned to be content when things are bad. I've learned to be content when things are good. I've, I've experienced times of need, times of abundance. In any and every circumstances, I've learned the secret of contentment, no matter what's going on in my circumstances. Paul says, I've learned, I have experienced living in, our Bible says things like humble means. The, the King James uses the word abased, here, I've experienced um, being abased. That's a better translation. Uh, but nobody knows what the word abased means anymore. Pape nustai, tape nustai, excuse me, is the, is the Greek word. Here's what that word means. When someone else causes me to be humiliated, degraded, abased, 
That's what Paul's talking about. So it's not just that Paul says, I've learned to be content when I don't have as much money in the bank as I'd like. Oh, it's way more than that. Paul says, I've learned to be content when they humiliate me. When they degrade me. That's impressive. He can still be content. On the other hand, Paul says, I can be content when I'm in a time of great prosperity. Now we think that part's silly, right? Of course you can be content when you have plenty of everything you need. That seems ridiculous. That goes without saying, right? Oh, really? It feels like this is true. It feels like there is some magical circumstance. If I had just more of what I already have, I would be content. It doesn't matter if it's financially, relationally, socially, whatever it is. There's this idea. If I just had more, I could get to that point where I'm content. But that's a, that's a treadmill that never stops. Financially, if I got, had us all get out a piece of paper, something to write with, and answer this question honestly, I would be content if I made blank dollars per year. And we all wrote that down. And we turned them in. Guess what we would find? We would find the level, the level I might write down. I could find somebody probably in this room who makes that amount of money. And you know what they wrote down? A higher amount of money. Not just that. If I had us do that and then I could get us in a time machine and go back 15 or 20 years before and show you a time where you had answered the same question for yourself, for many of us, guess what we would find? I currently make the amount of money I wrote down back then and I'm still not content. It's difficult to be content. Even when we have enough. And this is not just financially. That's just kind of the easiest one to illustrate. We can find lots of people who think, I would be content. You know, I'm single. I would be content if only I were married. We could find lots of other people who are convinced the reason they're not content is because the person they're married to. It's hard to be content. Even in prosperity. Prosperity has done more damage to Christians and the church than uh, than humble means has ever done. Clear back in, in Deuteronomy, if we went back right before the exodus is over, the wilderness wanderings have, have gone on, and God is ready to allow Israel to go into the promised land. And right before He does, as part of like His closing speech, before He sends the people into the promised land, this great land God promised to give them, and He wants them to have... Deuteronomy 8, God says, but there's danger in there. The 
danger is not the Canaanites. It's not the armies. It's not wild beasts. It's the prosperity. God says, when you get in there and you have all this good stuff I want to give you, you're going to have a good vineyard. You're going to have a good orchard. You're going to have a good house with a two-camel garage. You're going to look around and say, look at all this stuff I got. See, once we get there, once we look at God's stuff that He gave as my stuff that I got, that's when it will never be enough. Because I'll always be able to find somebody else who got more for himself, for herself. Paul's brand of contentment, the Bible's brand of contentment, God's brand of contentment is not about finding some sweet spot in my finances, in my relationships, in my whatever, to where my surroundings will make give me that feeling of, oh, everything is just right. The kind of contentment Paul's talking about takes over, even if you're on death row, for not only a crime you didn't commit, for something that's not even a crime. So how do I get this contentment? Where do I find this contentment? How do I gain this contentment? Well, the truth is, you don't find it. You don't gain it. You know what you do? You learn it. Lesson number three is that contentment is learned. It's not obtained. Paul says this twice in these verses. Paul had to learn contentment. And some things are hard to learn. Contentment being one of them. What keeps us from learning stuff? You know what I'm convinced is the number one reason we don't learn things that we have access to learn? Like one thing that can keep you from learning something is that you just have no access to it. But as far as things we have access to, the number one thing that keeps us from learning stuff is if we don't want to learn the thing. Think about it. When you're in school, if your kids are in school, if they don't learn their math facts on the little flashcards, it's probably because they don't want to. There's other things they'd rather spend their time doing than figuring out what five times six is, right? It's 30, by the way. Just write that down, kids, so you use that later. Right? I'd love to know how to play the guitar. But I don't want to learn how to play the guitar. I've proven that to myself. I would love to know how to speak Spanish. I don't want to learn how to speak Spanish. You know how I know? I've never taken the time to do it. There's other things I'd rather spend my time doing. Contentment is the same way. We have to learn contentment. And most of the times, we don't, we don't want to learn 
that we have enough to be content where we're at. It's true. If Paul can be content on death row, if he can learn to be content there, you're telling me we can't learn to be content where we're at? But the hard truth is we want, we want certain things in our surroundings to be different and we don't want to learn that we don't need those to be different before we can be content. We want those things changed. And we don't want to hear we don't need them. But contentment has to be learned. It's what each of us are longing for. It is not tied to our circumstances. And it's learned if we're willing. But we won't learn how to be content unless we know the secret to contentment. You want to know the secret to contentment? Anybody? You want to know the secret? Lean forward a little bit. I'm going to tell you. It's such a secret, Paul wrote it in verse 13. Here it is. Here's the secret. To contentment. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That's the secret to contentment. It's also maybe the most used out of context verse in the entire Bible. Right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We usually try to use that to mean like God's going to let me do something I actually don't have the power to do. God can do that. It's not what Paul's talking about here at all. And like I... I probably won't win the NBA slam dunk contest next year, but you never know. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not what this is about. Instead of, I can get whatever I want once I figure out how to let God, make God allow me to do it. This is more like, I can be okay if He doesn't. The, the all things... Here's what Paul says here. I can do what God wants me to do through the strength He gives me no matter what circumstance I'm in. Like That's the whole secret. I can do what God wants me to do no matter what I have or where He's put me. Why? Because my circumstances don't strengthen me. Christ does. My income level doesn't strengthen me. Christ does. My love life doesn't strengthen me. Christ does. My kids' achievements don't strengthen me. Christ does. Remember, Paul's sitting in prison. And he writes this, I can do this. I can do this. I want you to notice one more thing about this secret that blows up another, another misconception about contentment. Contentment is not an excuse to be lazy or disobedient. Because Paul says, because of his contentment, I can do 
all things. I can do what I'm supposed to do. My discontent says, I can't do what I'm supposed to do because I don't have enough money. My spouse doesn't treat me right. I can't do what God wants me to do because, and here comes the list. Contentment says, I can do all the things God wants me to do because He will strengthen me to do what He wants done where He's put me. That's why that's the secret. Notice back here, Paul says, I have learned the secret of contentment. What's the secret? You can do this. But, we have one more lesson to learn or we'll never put that secret to work in our lives. Lesson four is this. We won't have Paul's contentment unless we have Paul's purpose. We won't have Paul's kind of contentment unless we have Paul's kind of aim, kind of goal, kind of uh, purpose in his life. Paul's purpose was this, to see Jesus Christ glorified, made much of, made a big deal of, seem valuable to others. That's Paul's purpose. See, this unlocks the ability to be content wherever I'm at. Because as long as my goal and my purpose is to make Jesus Christ look more valuable than everything else in the world, to myself, to my family, and to others, when I can do this, I can do all things, no matter what situation I'm in. But when my goals become to make much of me, when my goals become to arrange my circumstances so they feel good to me, I will never be content, ever. Because this this place is broken. I'm not going to get circumstances that make me feel content. I'll be stuck on that treadmill of trying to get more, more money, more out of my spouse, more out of uh, my success. And I will miss out that he's got things he wants me to do for him where I'm at. My discontentment is what makes me build that list of why I can't do what he wants. And contentment tells me I can do all things through the one who strengthens me where I'm at. This kind of contentment makes people a a thermostat, not a thermometer. You ever hear that spiel? You want to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. See, a thermometer, all a thermometer can do is hang on the wall, just reads its surroundings and tells everybody how miserable it is. Or, on those blessed days, how perfect it is, how wonderful it is. Until two days later, and here we go again. It's too hot. It's too cold. All it can do is report the surroundings and tell folks. A thermostat goes to work to regulate the temperature where it lives. Paul's kind of contentment is not just sitting around doing nothing and pretending everything is okay. It's having the right goal and deciding, learning. I have 
everything I need. I have everything I need to fulfill my purpose, which is to glorify Jesus Christ right here where He put me. I don't need more money to do that. I don't need more success to do that. I don't need to be on the varsity to do that. I don't need my spouse to stop being such a lunkhead. Though it would be nice. And hopefully, by the same token, the lunkhead spouse can stop chasing what she or he is chasing for contentment and be obedient in his role. Contentment helps us do what God wants done where we are at. Contentment, whether we know it or not, is what each of us longs for. It is not tied to our circumstances. It has to be learned. If you are waiting on your circumstances to make you content, you are never going to be content. It is learned. It's not obtained. Contentment is subject to Paul's aim, Paul's purpose, which is to glorify Jesus Christ and make much of him where he's at. And the secret, the secret to having that kind of contentment is this. You can do this. I can do this. We can do this. Because we can do all things in all circumstances if we're doing what we're doing for the one who gives us strength. His name is Jesus. He died for us. We have all things for all time through Christ. If we will live for the one who died for us instead of live to manipulate our circumstances to make us feel good, we can learn contentment. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, I thank you so much for the, for the example of Paul who followed the example of Jesus that showed us that we can learn, human beings can learn to be content in dreadful circumstances. God, I pray for myself. I pray for my, my friends, my church family who are here this morning. Will you show us those things that we have been saying we can't be content because of. We can't fulfill our roles. We can't do what God wants us to do because of. Will you show us, Lord, that we have everything we need to be content? We can still love and want to see God's best. We can still challenge. We can still confront. But we can be content where you've put us if we're living to make Jesus Christ look valuable where we are at. And God, we thank you that one day, one day our circumstances will be perfect just not here. We long for that day. In the meantime, help us have God, have your kind of contentment, Paul's kind of contentment. We can do all things through you because you strengthen us. In your name we pray. Amen.